morning. Wow, I'm really loud. Good morning. <laughs> Good to see you guys this morning. I was, I was telling the first gathering, um, and, and the same is, is true for you, I, I just really enjoy being a part of this community. really enjoy knowing that uh, as we come together, um, as people who are seeking God at all different levels, uh, in our experience, knowing Him for years or, or just being found by Him. You know, just to, just to hear the voices, to see your faces, to see, see you come into this place with, with consistency and with diligence um, to express godliness and to, and to encounter godliness. It's just so encouraging. Um, it, it's such a wonderful place to, to be uh, such a privilege that we have, uh, and sometimes I think church is something that we we don't count as a as a privilege sometimes. And I just I feel very privileged this morning um, to be here with you. So if you're new with us or, or you missed last week, then obviously we are in a new series called Philippians. All right, um, everybody can read. Good job. I'm proud of you. Um, try to be affirming. Um, so Philippians, and uh, last week Pastor Eric and Dave Gwartney kicked that off and just kind of uh, going through uh, what is it, some, a couple questions that we're asking, what does it mean to live in community um, and what does it mean to be a different kind of community? So what does it mean to live in community and really these questions of how does the gospel of Jesus Christ mold and shape my life? How does that really create space for me to exercise things like unbridled fellowship? Or like what we talked about last week with with being partners in the grace of God. Being a servant, going into servanthood. What attributes has God called us or designed us for as His family? How, How do we live in community? And then the other one, how is this community different? You know, biblically speaking, I mean, there's a lot of communities out there. There's, there's communities that are centered around sports. Uh, you can go to conferences that all they do is they, they talk about video games. Uh, there's actually like an E3 conference for video games, isn't there? Tommy Vancher, is that right? You'd know. You'd know. Sorry, I'm just going to call you out because I love you. Um, there, there's, there's all kinds of communities. I mean, um, you know, communities centered around nakedness. You know, um, nudist colonies. You know, all these guys. That's not really um, what E3 is about at all. Um, so, but as we express our faith and as we express authenticity, um, and as we don't wear facades but we do wear clothes, um, then what we really want to just find out is is how does God, you know, mold us and shape us to be different in the world, biblically. You know, what makes us unique? And, and Dave Gortney did a great job last week just kind of bringing up this idea of, of Diaferro, this better way. What is it that it, it is this different kind of glory that helps us move into things like embracing suffering? Embracing suffering? Really? I mean, that's unique. <laughs> that's different. Uh, finding joy in trials. Wow, that's, that's, that's different. Whereas, you know, most of our experience, most of, of what we live out or what we, what we see in the world is complaining through trials. How do, how do we find joy in trials? 
And so this letter uh, to the Philippians is just that. It's a letter, it's an epistle. Um, And unlike many of Paul's other epistles, his other letters, um, got about 13 of them out there, uh, this one is not intended for kind of passing around, so to speak. Um, Some of the other letters that he wrote, he wrote with the intention of, hey, pass this on from church to church to church for for instruction and for doctrine and, you know, all of these kinds of things. Well, the Philippian letter is is not like that. It's a very personal letter. It's it's intended to respond to some questions that they had. Um, and, And at the time that Philippians was written, about 10 years after Paul had actually planted the church, um, on his second missionary journey. And so, uh, right at the beginning, what I want to do is kind of lay a foundation of some of the, some of the verses that we're going to talk about today. In, in verse 12 through 26 is what we're going to look at today. But I want to lay a foundation, where, uh, this idea, uh, this, this focus of Paul's life, the single-mindedness that he had, that really is going to be necessary for us to to walk through the verses that we have today um, and, and get something out of it. And so, all of Paul's 13 epistles start with, in usually the first you know, sentence or two, uh, the first idea or two, with this thing of, hey, may, may God give you grace and peace. May God grant you grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. And this is one of those things that, that Paul really understood the divine influence that grace had on the heart. That grace was a spiritual force in the world that changed the way that, that people thought and the way that people acted, and it changed everything. Grace had a divine influence over the heart. And so Paul's expression, this, this grace and peace, was something that, that really he had experienced. He'd experienced this from God. He'd He'd taken paths that God had laid out for him. He had been obedient to the calling of God. And he had lived his life in obedience that created in him an outpouring of godliness. That was the power of grace. And it always has to go in that order. It always has to go grace and peace. Grace and peace. You can't have peace without experiencing the grace of God. You can't have security in your life regardless of circumstance. You can't have trust and hope that, hey, it's all going to work out. No, it isn't all going to work out. There is one who works things out. And that is where we find grace. That is where we understand that God, our Redeemer, He's the one who works it all out. And Paul really began to you know, grow in this and abound in this, and, and his heart was divinely changed. It was changed so much that, that his values were redefined. And that he began to proclaim prosperity and peace in his darkest hour. Here he is, he's, he's writing the book of Philippians from a prison cell. From a, from a place that, that's cold and, and damp and, and rats are running around. And you know, the, the Roman jails uh, were notorious for um, being short. You know, as short as, as people were back then, they didn't have six, seven people walking around too much, you know. Um, as people were, were more, you know, five foot, five and a half foot. Well, the Romans would intentionally, you know, make their, make their prison cells, well, just maybe about six inches shorter or a foot shorter than you were. 
I put you in there so you could never stand up straight. You could never stretch out. You, you'd be suffering. Well, that's one case scenario that maybe he was in. Or the best case scenario was that he was chained to a Roman guard for 24 hours a day with no privacy. You know, but in this place of bondage, he found freedom. In this place of constriction, he found release. He found that, that this grace had a powerful force and it was a powerful force in his life that created peace. And he lives in the solidarity that all things are working together for good. Why? Because he loves God, God loves him, and he desires what God wants in his life. He is absolutely submitted to that. So peace follows grace. It's, peace is grace in action. Peace is grace in action. And grace does not make us passive. We begin to act, and grace isn't opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. So many times in our life, we, we think that we need to earn God's good graces. So many times, I, I had a conversation with somebody last week, and they were telling me, hey, I, you know, I, I really was struggling with some finances, and I, and I, and I began to, to not be faithful in my tithe began to be disobedient and, and giving. And, and, I, and I feel like i got to give back to God. i got to like make that up. And I said, are, are you a debtor to God? Like, can you, can you, realistically, can you pay God back? Is that something that, that you feel God has called you to do and asked you to do? Or are you trying to get back in God's good graces? And so many times, you know, we find ourselves in the position of feeling as though we have to earn God's unmerited favor. It's just simply not the case. And that in and of itself brings great peace. But grace and, and the, the peace that comes with it provides the space for us to be able to ask this question. What's the next right thing that I can do? What is the next right thing that God desires me to do to glorify Him? It gives us the freedom from the mental space of, oh, I've got to pay for the things that I've done wrong. It gives us freedom from, oh, I've got I've to ask for forgiveness and, and get back into the good graces. No. We sit in that place of grace. And we go, thank you, God. Please forgive me. I understand that I am forgiven. I receive that forgiveness. I receive your grace. The power, the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. And now, what's the next right thing that I can do? How can I honor you, God? Why? Because, because we're the people of second chances. Because we're the people of third chances and fourth chances and 490th chances. We're the, we're the broadcasters of light. We're the distributors of grace. But before we become a distributor, we have to become a recipient. We have to engage in this continually, growing, abounding in grace and peace. Paul got this, and that's why in this letter to the Philippians, he, he flows from this place upon, uh, of dependency upon God. That God is going to meet his needs, that God is going to, to fulfill the desires that he wants. And he relies absolutely 100% upon the authority of God. You've seen this artwork, and, and it isn't just you know, like to look cool or culturally current. Maybe you've seen some of these things on the web, but it actually, it actually has a purpose. And this is this is part of, of how we want to visually represent to you the authority of God, His preeminence. 
this singleness of mind. And so I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with the word cloud, but basically um, you can go online and you can just do a, a search for word cloud generator. And um, what you do is you can just uh, fill in a text. And so what Trace did was highlighted, copied and pasted the entire text of Philippians, threw it into the word cloud generator and bam, a piece of art, you know. And, and the way that this works is the larger words are the, are the words that are more preeminent. They're the words that, that are used the most times. They're the, they're the, they find, we find that this is, this is really the theme of the book. And so uh, what's the biggest word? Christ. Okay, and? 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 Okay, good news. Yeah, know and, and live. And you also see, you know, turn your head this way and you see a whole bunch more all of a sudden. There's brothers and, and people. And, and so what we see is this, this picture of, of what Philippians is about, of what this expression of grace and peace is is all about and um you know so we look at that and, and we and we really begin to get a picture of of all right it's about people and, and brothers it's it, so it, it's about community it, it's about living and knowing and working and, and preaching and, and and wanting and and sending and, and faith and continuing and all, all of these things the way that we live out our lives the way that we encounter god well as i was thinking about that i was kind of like all right well um what would happen if I was able to take all of my conversation in the last week, just dictate that to somebody, copy and paste it into the word cloud generator, and then bam, what happens? What, what, is, what is the expression of my heart? You know, hey, Jesus Christ, it, it might be right there. It might be the, like the biggest, but it might be for the wrong reason. <laughs> It might be surrounded by another, a bunch of other words, you know, maybe like not so glorifying. <laughs> but, but what is, what is the biggest word in, in, in your cloud? What is the biggest expression of your heart? You know, maybe, maybe you find, there it is, it's, it's ESPN2, you know? A couple of weeks ago, maybe it was World Cup, you know? What is it that, what is it that is the expression of your heart that you are defining yourself? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's oil spill. Maybe, maybe it's frustrated. Maybe it's uh, confusion. Maybe, maybe it's exhaustion. Tired. Maybe it's indifferent. Eh, you know, whatever. Paul possessed a single-mindedness that came from his grasp of grace and the peace that flowed from that that, that showed us a, a pattern of life here in the 21st century, using technology to go, Christ has preeminence. It's important to understand this concept because the things that we're going to talk about in, in verses 12 through 26 are the kind of meaty things, kind of like weighty, weighty ideas. Um, the things that, that we, we that challenge our faith and, and what we believe and how we live our life. And so, what I want to do is, uh, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase for you, just to like catch you up to speed and just create a flow. I'm going to paraphrase. This is the, this is the Dan version, first 11 verses. Uh, Timothy and, and I are, are slaves to Christ. We're writing you. Grace and peace to you. I thank God whenever I think about you with much joy. I'm thankful for your fellowship and partnership 
I know God will be faithful to complete what he has started in you. I know this is right because you are one with me in the grace of God as I I suffer physically and as as I mentally prepare to be tried. I love you so much. I pray that you will abound in love and discernment so that you will be focused on the truth and be pure and blameless until Christ returns. May your lives pour out the fruits of salvation through Jesus for the glory of God. And then he continues in verse 12, and he says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Single-mindedness unleashes boldness. Single-mindedness unleashes boldness. It creates the freedom to, to speak God's words of life. Another thing it does is it, is it gives us the courage. It unleashes this boldness. It gives us the courage to walk into places of pain. To walk into a situation of brokenness and say, I am not afraid to be a catalyst for redemption. I'm not afraid to be a part of the redemptive work of God in this situation. One of the greatest ways that I've seen this play out in our community recently is people just experiencing this grace and this peace and the solidarity of mind that gives them the, the strength and the love and the courage to move into brokenness is, is in the situation with the Dawsons. You know, and they've been going through this, this trial and this mystery and this unknown and this emotional brokenness and, and wondering what's going to happen with, with little Jake, you know. And, and in the midst of this, the people in the community, you know, Mary and Larry Coffey, you know, just immediately, like within hours, just showing up on the scene, you know. Brandon ran out of the, out of the house barefoot trying to care for his son, and, and Larry Coffey shows up hours later with a pair of shoes and some socks, you know, just meeting the tangible needs, walking into the brokenness, walking into the pain, and walking into the hurt. People like Laura Boylan, you know, who, who, who step up and say, hey, you know, whatever I can do. She's been there almost every single day, if not every single day, you know, since this happened. Just what can I do? What can I, how can I provide for your needs? Coordinating meals, Coordinating, you know, delivering coffee, you know, it's a really important th- ministry, you know, coffee, yes, absolutely, amen, uh, yeah, <clears throat> but th- this, this is a this powerful force that, it, that is going on, you know, and just going, watching the cycle of that begin to happen, then all of a sudden, like, Brandon and Jeannie, they're, they're the ones that are being ministered to, and then all of a sudden, they become the ministers, all of a sudden, they get to express back to those people who are ministering to them their hope in God. Last week, a, a, a young woman found herself in the ICU after she had had triplets and two of them died and her third was in the ICU. And I, I happened to be there at just the right time to see this interaction between Jeannie and this young girl as Jeannie just enveloped her in her arms and prayed with her, and just, and just hugged her. And, and she, had, she found the courage in, in her own place of suffering to be a conduit for grace and mercy, to be a, a light, to be a lamppost, to be able to say, 
hey, I'm here for you. God is here for you. And to be able to extend that hope. Single-mindedness unleashes boldness. Continues in verse 15, he says, it's true that some of... Some of these people are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to preach the gospel, to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their, message, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Single-mindedness makes room for God to work in every shade of gray. Single-mindedness makes room for God to work in every shade of gray. This is probably one of the toughest areas for our minds to comprehend. You know, when you go to the office and, and, and the gossip is being spread around and, you know, and somebody comes and they want to share with you and, and you just, you know, you say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just really not interested. <laughs> you know what, I, I'm not, I don't want to participate in this. I don't want, I don't want to hear that. That's not, that's not in my word cloud this week. <laughs> That, that, that is not an expression of my heart. This is not where my heart finds joy in sharing in other people's juicy gossip. You know, and what happens with that? Oh, well, you know, you're just goody. You know, you're self-righteous. And so what happens is the backtalk begins and the slander begins because of your good character. You know, and then the tendency for us is like, no, I want to make this right. I want to defend myself. No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm, I'm being righteous. You know, and Paul is sitting in this place where he's preaching the truth and other people begin to preach the truth out of malice to cause more problems for him, to stir up strife, to stir up government problems and create more animosity against Paul and the movement that God is doing through these people's lives. And God, through Paul, just simply says, you know what? It doesn't matter. I rejoice that God is going to have His way. I rejoice that God is the one who is in control. I rejoice that no matter what the other efforts that are going on, that are trying to, to quench the Spirit, that are trying to, to stop the Gospel, that my Gospel, the Gospel of grace and peace, the truth, it cannot be hindered. In fact, when you turn up the heat, it only grows. It only swells. It only overflows with more grace and more peace. That is when you know you're living the truth. That's when you know that you've really encountered grace and peace. God can take that slander and He can use it to refine your motives, to build your faith and help you express your faith in a way that reveals His presence in your life. These people began to Preach Christ as a means to stir up hate. But Paul had his eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of his faith. And he was not going to be moved. He knew and he believed that God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. And so because of that, he can move now into the next verse, into this next expression, where he says some really interesting things about his mortality. 
verse 20, he says, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or whether I die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Another translation says, you've probably heard it a little more this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Single-mindedness creates contentment. Single-mindedness creates contentment. This is, this is not indifference. Okay? This is not, you know, oh, I just don't care about my body. I just, I'm just going to die to the flesh. I, I don't care about, you know, yeah, they, they whipped me and they beat me and they threw me in a, you know, a midget's prison cell. You know, like, no, this is not indifference. This is, this is overcoming. This is not that he doesn't care. This is that he cares more. That God's grace and his mercy and his peace is flowing through him and that has created a contentment. It's not pacifism. He's not resigned to his fate, but in fact, he's not resigned to his fate, but in fact, he is 100% content with whose hands he's in. I'm in his hands. What more do I need? And really, it, it, it's this challenge for us, and, and what Paul is expressing is, is, this, is this picture that, well, the sailors used it when they were casting off their ship. All right, we're, we're dying. We're, we're departing. We're going we're gonna to set sail. We're going to raise the sails. We're going to pull the anchors, and we're going to move on. We're going somewhere else. Paul was a tent maker. He was very familiar with this other side of it. The, the, the nomads, they would, they would say, all right, it's time to move on. It's time to transition. It's time to, to go on to a different way of life. Live in a different place. And so we're going to pick up our tent and we're going to move on. This whole idea, this solidarity, this single-mindedness, this expression of grace and peace that was flowing in, Christ, in Paul's life because of boldness, because he knew that God was working in, the, in every area because he was content that now he's able to say, you know what? I am going from life to life eternal. Death is simply that transition. Death is simply that movement. Malty Babcock said, life is what we are alive to. Life is what we are alive to. When I go to uh, I go to Target with my wife, you know, we'll, we go and, and you know go look at towels, you know, and uh, you know, it's really exciting stuff. So many different colors, gosh. <laughs> we go and we look at towels, you know, and then like you know, Renee's like, "Hey, do you want to go look at bedspreads?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> Did you have to ask? You know, um, <laughs> can we do washcloths next, please? Please, please, no. Uh, and and then we walk around, you know. And she's like, "I know you want to go. I know you want to go to the men's section." I'm like, "Yeah," <laughs> you know. And then like we, we make our way around, and you know the kids always want to, you know, go play on the toys. And we get to like the tech section, and you know, like all of a sudden I come alive, you know. All of a sudden, you know, what I'm alive to, it, there it is, you know. It's it's like 50 inches of flat screen, like goodness, you know, I'm like, 
I'm not going to buy one, but I can look, you know. Um, and I, I just, I, I enjoy it. I just, I look at it and I look at the Kindle and I'm like, man, look at that. How did they do that? Look at that screen. Like, that's cool. It really does look like a piece of paper, you know. I, I go through, I just engage these things and I, and I go, and I, we go and, and, I, and I get on the floor with my three-year-old son and my five-year-old daughter and we like roll balls. I know you're not supposed to do it, but we play with the toys in Target, you know roll the balls and we squeeze the little you know like dinosaurs and snakes with all the beady squishy stuff in them you know and and we you know buy nerf guns that shoot darts at each other it's fun life is what we are alive to and paul says for me to live is christ and to die is gain all right so you fill in you fill in the blank for me to live is and to die is, all right, what, what is that? What are those words for you? What is your word cloud? What is the expression of your heart? For me to live is uh, worldly pleasure. And to die is, is nothing. At least I hope. <laughs> I hope there's nothing after this because I'm living bad or really good. Uh, for me to live is fame. And to die is infamy. For me to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind to some fool. <laughs> For me, to live is family, and, and to die is heartbreaking. Paul says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. True life is what makes your heart sing. And I hope as we're lifting our voices and as we will afterwards, as our hearts sing, I hope that we find what we're alive to. I hope we find this grace and this peace. I hope we find this, this Savior, this Redeemer. I hope we find this Lord. Because in these first 30 verses of, of chapter 1, Paul uses this word Christ 18 to 21 times, depending on the translation that you're reading. That's not even including the references to God. That's, that's just this, this Savior. And a number of times he calls Him Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. He, he's completely wrapped up that He is a slave. That He is a doulos. That He is someone who is under authority. One of the things that I read as I was reading about that was um, there was this phrase that used to go around among bond slaves and, and you know these, these people who, who had committed their, their lives to their master they had in, for life. They had entrusted themselves to the service of their master for the rest of their life, like a marriage, till death do us part. And one of the, one of the phrases that came out of this one of the ideas that they lived and that they experienced as they put themselves in someone else's hands was to serve Him is to reign as King. To serve Him is to reign as King. What a glorious hope <laughs> if we can get to that place in our, in our apprehension of God's grace that we too can say to serve Him is to experience unlimited power in our lives. It's to reign as a king. Paul was fully convinced that if he died physically, that he would be present with God. He would pass from life to life eternally. 
and that was great gain. But the thing about it is, is that Paul wasn't inhuman. He wasn't superhuman. He, he wasn't separated from his emotions. He was completely in touch with the things that were going on in his heart. And so this last, last four verses that we're going to look at reveal this inner struggle, reveal this battle about what he's going to go through. He says, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. Uh, on the one hand, I'm, I'm torn between these two these two desires, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better if I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what He is doing through me. Single-mindedness brings clarity. Single-mindedness brings clarity. It, it doesn't remove the, the challenge. It doesn't take us outside of the trial to some utopia. No, he, he's, he's in it. He, he's battling through it. He's, he's working it out with fear and with trembling. What does God want me to do? And then he comes to this place of confidence. Not by his own mental determination, but in fact, we, we had some foreshadowing of it in verse 19 where it said, Paul says, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. And now he expresses, I, I, know, I know I'm going to get delivered. It, it's better for me to stay here. And in fact, that is what happened. Paul was delivered this time from the Roman prison and he got to continue ministering as a missionary, as one sent out the message of the gospel. Paul's voice of reason wasn't his own weighing of thoughts and emotions, but in fact, it was the Spirit of God. The down payment that God has given, the down payment that God has put inside every single one of us, every single one of you, that He has put inside you a piece of Himself to lead you, to guide you, to speak truth to you, to encourage you, to comfort you, to convict you, to magnify Jesus in your life. He is led and empowered by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He was given the mind of Christ. And that's something that Pastor Eric, I'm sure, is going to spend a lot of time on next week as we move into the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. But for this week, what does it mean to live in community? means to encounter and share the glorious grace of God, to lavish forgiveness upon each other, to stir up hope and to strike down shame, to proclaim the good news that death has no victory in our lives, for we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah. What does it mean to be a different kind of community? It, it means to, to live in this place of being single-minded, the world, it's constantly changing. It has no grip that is sure. It has no resolve that can stand the test of time. The difference is found in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This down payment that God has given us as His children. Have the worship band come back up and what we're going to do is we're just, we're going to let grace and peace be expressed 
through us. This is a time for us to respond. This is a time for for us to go, all right, life is about what makes my heart sing. I'm going to sing as loud as I can, as fervently and as passionately as I can, with all of the faith that I have, with all of the love that I have, with all of the joy that I have, with all of the hope that I have, that God is at work. And I pray that he opens my eyes and that he opens my ears. I pray that I can be wholly his because he is holy. I want to pray that I can hear his voice, this voice like a lion that is roaring on the inside, that is crying out for my redemption, that is giving me the strength and the power to live a life of single-mindedness. Stand and let's pray. Father God, we come before you as your people. Lord, we come to you um, in need of the good news, in need of the gospel, in need of guidance by your Spirit. Lord, we come to you dependent upon you and expectant of you. Not as though we command you, not as though our faith demands something from you, but in fact, Lord, you have told us that all of these things that we're asking for are what you desire to give us, what you desire to lavish upon us as the overflow of who you are. Lord, help us to empty ourselves and to be filled with you by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.